Welcome to the Unofficial House of Wind Book Club, ran by two best friends and self-declared members of the Knight Court. Today we are discussing chapters 43 and 44 of A Court of Thorns and Roses. I know you can hear me from the dark. I know you're listening from afar. I thought that no one could fix me. Remember a couple weeks ago, I guess, I guess at this point it's been a couple months ago when I told you I had that night court maternity shoot. Yeah, you're meeting for it. Yeah. Okay. When the woman walked in wearing a High Lord of the Night Court shirt with the Batboy logo on it. Yeah. So I had her photo shoot today. How'd it go? And it went so well. She was stunning. She had a black lace maternity gown on. That was just amazing. She had a black and gold crown, these beautiful, stunning dark blue earrings, like sapphire earrings. And I got to help her with her hair, like to put the crown in. So we, we got it to stay. Oh, it was, the light was gorgeous. Everything was gorgeous. It was just such a fun shoot. It was such a fun thing to do. And especially because last week I had my own night court inspired shoot yeah to then get to shoot for somebody who loves you know the series as much as i do did you just feel like you've spent the last few weeks just like submerged into the world almost yes and like i was joking that when um their baby comes we need to get little illyrian wings and do since we did night court inspired maternity shoot oh no we might have to do a couple night court inspired photos so it was just perfect I would be doing the nursery like they would have a little mobile that had like stars and a mountain and oh. I have so many ideas now. Well, you know. I hope there's like a, a, a mountain stencil with the stars. You, you know what I'm talking about. I, I want the whole thing. You realize I will be having, fingers crossed, a, a, a little tiny human in the next year and a half. We could plan out your future child's nursery. I don't know if I've told you guys this, but my mom's name's Elaine. I'm pretty sure I've called her (laughs) Elaine on the podcast, but yeah, yes, yes. So one of my favorite baby names is Nora Elaine. It now just has an extra special thing. Oh, and update guys, because we were talking about this before. My mom's on book three. Is she really? She sure is. And does she have thoughts and feelings? She loves it. She's obsessed with the series. And she messaged me while my best friend was here. One of them, obviously, Libby's the other one. She messaged me and she was like, I know you're busy and I know you're having a great chip, but I had to tell you I'm on the third book of the series. Aww. It was just very, very cute. So it's been on this side of the the world. It's been a very Akatar centered last couple of weeks. I think your mom's really going to like Crescent City. I hope she will continue in the SJM universe. I don't think she'd like of what I've read so far. I think that Throne of Glass would be just a little bit too. I don't know if that's her pace. Yeah. I don't think it'd be her favorite thing in the world, especially with the the lack of uh, romance and smut. It might not be her cup of tea, but I really think she'd like Crescent City. I think it's important to note that SJM was 16 when she started writing Throne of Glass. Lindsay, when she was here, mentioned that she thought the writing in Akatar at the beginning was immature. Huh. She loved the first two books of Throne of Glass. And so I was like, ma'am, 
do you realize that Throne of Glass was written while SJM was in high school? So if we're going to talk immature, yeah. it's going to be those books. And she was like, oh, <laughs> she had no idea. So I disagree with her on that. My mom loves, loves the series so far. Whenever I go home to visit next year in September, I'm so excited to sit down and talk with her about the series. And I don't think she still listens to the podcast, but if she does, hi, mom. Hi, Lee. How's your week been? It blows my mind how anyone in high school can do something so life-changing like that imagine in high school you're just writing down some ideas or some short story it builds and then you wake up to this point in your life you're in your 30s and you are set you have you have it made you're a best-selling author with several series several books and you are just at the top of the game and imagine having been 16 that started all of that, that, that I mean, in high school at 16, I, <laughs> I was not doing things like that. I was not. Do you know what I was writing? I was writing fan fictions. You know, I was writing true life love stories about <laughs> the girl I had a crush on and her boyfriend, because that wasn't creepy. So oh. I can see why SJM loved writing, but no, I could never imagine creating a world that amazing at 16, 16 when the biggest deal was dri getting my driver's license and owning a car you know I couldn't imagine thinking about an assassin in the world that she lives in I wonder how much of herself she put into Selena too because Selena when her story really begins for us we know that she's technically like eight nine or ten I think when truly her first memories start to come in through the books but Really, we, we got to get her perspective, I think, as a 16-year-old in some of the books. In the book series, Elizabeth? Did I just read a spoiler? What did you read? It said, how old was Selena Sardothian when, I was going to say her mom died, but it came up with when she died. Selena? I, I don't... I'm still on Kingdom of Ash. Selena is not dead. Okay. So I don't know. Unless, unless you just spoiled Kingdom of Ash for me somehow, but oh, fuck. <laughs> I, I mean, at that at this point, she's she's her character is 16, and SJM was 16 when she started this. So I wonder yeah. how much of herself got put into Selena. Sarah J. Mass has said that she feels connected to each of her characters, that they kind of introduced themselves to her. But I think I'm almost certain there's an interview somewhere where she has said Selena will always have a special place in her heart. I mean, that's her first Stop. character to my yes, understanding. Yes, of course. So I get that. But it also makes me wonder, like, how much of herself goes into Selena and... It just, you see how much she puts into her work, into her characters, into her writing. Consciously or not, you know? Right. And to do that at 16, I am just amazed. I am dumbfounded and in awe of her writing and of her as a writer. It's, ah. Libby, what if someday we get to interview her? Abby. What would you do? Cry the whole time. Miss Ma'am, how was your week? Eventful. In our house, my daughter, ever since. She was conceived turned about two or three she immediately wanted christmas stuff put up like right after her birthday she's smart um, which is the middle of the year it's yeah and we've kind of made an agreement that you know after halloween we will put decorations up 
And she took that very literally. So every year within the first weekend after Halloween. So like if Halloween's on a Friday, by Saturday we'll put stuff up. But like if it's in the middle of the week, like it was this year, it was on a Tuesday. So by Friday or Saturday of that week, we'll put stuff up. So that's when we put things up. And so we've had our Christmas, indoor Christmas decorations. Our outdoor stuff doesn't get put up till after Thanksgiving. But our indoor decorations all go up. Right after Halloween. I love it. She's such a smart kid. Well, she is very into Elf on the Shelf. So we have one. And it's one of those where we can't just like not bring it out. Because she's like, where is he? There's no Christmas magic until he shows up. Like he brings the magic for Santa. Oh, God. So it's like day three or four here at this point of Elf on the Shelf. And I am already struggling. So if anyone wants to send me ideas on like very easy, quick ways to change up and make it interesting each day because that's like the first thing she does when she wakes up every single day is where is he where's the elf on the shelf when does the elf in case we have any young ears Uh when does the elf move does he move at night our elf timothy likes to love the name likes to wait till she goes to sleep because she knows that our elf is there to report back to santa and he likes to stay frozen. Like whenever you look at him, he freezes. It's, it's a very Toy Story-esque of course. Uh, situation. We can't see him move, but he's watching us. And when we're not looking, he's moving type thing. Um, so when we all go to sleep at night, our elf then does his thing. So if anyone wants to tell us what crazy things they found their elf doing to help us survive the two months we have until Christmas. I'm amazed that your elf comes out so early. Oh, we don't have that option. (laughs) She has two different books about her elf on the shelf. There's the story and then there's the guide on how to... Like, you're not supposed to touch the elf. Does she refer back to it? She does, actually. Because the thing is about Elf on the Shelf, if you touch the elf, he loses his magic until you do, like, different rituals to give it back to him. This does not sound like witchcraft at all. Right? (laughs) Interesting. My witchy heart is definitely not happy. So if our Elf on the Shelf gets lazy and decides not to move around or forgetful and doesn't move around, she starts, like going off she's like who touched him who touched him she busts out the book she's like pick one of the three ways to give him his magic back you did this you fix it so there have been times and like previous what are the ways i think it's like seeing an apology to him or i don't even know it's the most absurd i love it so if he doesn't move she goes on the hunt for who caused him to not move. I love it so much. Or does does Timothy get forgetful and not move and now you have to perform whatever ceremony? What if Timothy is tired? No, not good enough. She's like, he sat there and didn't move all day. There's no reason for him to be tired. She does not play games. So Abby, I say we move on to our question of the week. It's a kind of a fun one. What's the weirdest gift you have ever received? I wouldn't necessarily even say it's like the weirdest, but probably like the most odd. I don't know. Weird and odd, I guess, can be interchangeable. My mom is usually like killer with Christmas gifts. Okay. Spot on. I always know that when I open a gift from her, it's going to be either something I wanted Mm -hmm. or the most outrageous never asked for gift in my entire life. (laughs) Okay. Specifically, it was the second. It was like, I don't know, 2017, 2016. I opened this gift 
And I took it out and it looked like it was made of like alpaca wool. Huh. Like really thick old wool. Okay. It was black. And it was a cardigan, but like also a jacket at the same time. And it looked like it was made for like a German elf. Do you have this or a picture of it? Oh, absolutely not. Dang it. I surely threw it away. Ah. Uh. I want to see it. Surely and promptly threw it away. I'll see if I can find something like it. It was like, I don't know, think like uh, Hansel and Gretel (laughs) type jacket, but the jacket was black and all of the like elements on it were in different neon colors. Oh. With a pointed hood. Oh. With a little oh, no. like bell on the no. top. It was Libby, it was a atrocious. Oh, and I thought my mom was I thought my mom was kidding when I opened it. It wasn't a joke. Oh no. No. So I went, oh my God, mom, that's horrible. Like laughing. And she goes, Oh no. She goes, Oh, I thought you'd like that. What? That's that's the worst gift. Where do you find something like that? I don't know, but it was so impressive that it was that ugly. And so at that time, I had a friend who shall not be named. They were spending Christmas with my family because, let's be real, their family couldn't afford Christmas. So okay. they had a better Christmas with me. So they were there. And I remember even he was like, oh, God, that's horrible. Like the whole family thought it was a joke. And my mom got really offended. Oh, God. So my husband, thank God, hasn't done any horrible gifts. One year, he got me, like, for Valentine's Day, one of those glass roses. Okay. But, like, I saw the same one at the BX for, like, eight bucks. Oh, no. And it wasn't cute. And so I had to, like, pretend to really love it. But besides that, James has been good. But what's your worst gift? My weirdest gift was about... Oh, shoot. I can't remember. It was two or I think it was three three Christmases ago. My husband's dad and stepmom got me a rape whistle for Christmas. Oh, my God. (laughs) Why? And it was adorned with a little pearl at the end. I don't even know. Why? I don't know. Because I didn't want to be like, why? Why? You know, it just felt rude. So I was just like, okay. So like my, my kid played with it as a whistle she was just like oh it's a whistle i was like here you know what here you go i work from home i don't really go out at night and especially not alone and a rape whistle i was i don't know i still i haven't wrapped my mind around it uh i don't know what to make of it still i still haven't figured the gift out we don't even have it anymore but I don't know how to feel about this. Oh, Libby, that is horrible. And somehow your rape whistle reminded me that one year my mom just got me graham crackers. No, she didn't. For my birthday. No. Like Teddy Graham's graham crackers and like a thing of peanut butter. Oh my God. And I still to this day don't know why. My dad's mom, Susan, the awful... We've talked about her. Love her. Got my mom a free magazine subscription for Christmas one year. Oh, if we're going to go Christmas gifts, (laughs) my grandma on my dad's side refused, once you hit the age of 18, refused to get you a Christmas gift until you were married. Why? Is it an incentive? (laughs) I I don't know. My brother got married at like 18, so he definitely got his- He never had to miss. Got it. He wasn't even in the state. And she shipped him a Christmas gift. But me, being 20 
three and not being married. My butt didn't get one for like five years, right? I don't like the math. The math ain't mathing on that one. And then, hold on. Oh, God. It gets, it gets better. It gets better. The gift I got when I when I was married, like four-year-old bath and body soap. Oh, God. You know, in the bath and body, like the clear starts to actually turn a little bit, whatever color it is in the bottle. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> no. Uh-huh. That oh, was God. my congrats, you're married Christmas gift. Uh, one year, um, Susan and Larry the Terrible, they got me and my brother and my sister Cracker Jack boxes and a toilet paper roll. Oh. And they wrapped mm. $20 in ones around each toilet paper roll. And we had to like pull it out as if we were extending toilet paper out of a box. It was... In the form of $1 bills. And we were like, you could have just given us, like, well, you didn't have to, this is gross. This was too much. You don't just get empty toilet paper rolls, Abigail. Oh. Tell me where you would go buy three empty toilet paper rolls. Where? You don't. You don't. You wouldn't. You use your used toilet paper rolls. I remember being disgusted because there were like little, you know, where sometimes like there's a little like where the glue it connected the paper so you can't get the paper off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was still on mm-hmm. some of the roll. It was like, Ugh. oh, so we got your used toilet paper roll. That's pretty bad. Yeah, and I just want to say, <laughs> Susan and Larry the Despicable are incredibly well off. Stop it. They are so comfortable, Abigail. I'm talking, their privilege is so white. It's like a snowy day. It is, <laughs> when some people think of a Karen, I just think of a Susan. I really do. One and the same. I'm sure there are good Susans out there. I just don't know any. She just sounds like not a great person. They're despicable. They have more money than I will ever know what to do with in my lifetime anyway. And it's probably because they give out toilet paper rolls and free magazine subscriptions as uh, holiday and birthday presents, so. Would you like to actually hear the best slash worst Christmas gift I've ever gotten now that you've reminded me of it? (laughs) How does it get worse? How do we keep getting worse? (laughs) Yes. My brother. Oh no, Mitchell. Mitchell. My brother was, for many years, (laughs) king of Christmas gifts. Okay. And I don't mean in a positive way. Oh. One year for Christmas, we're talking like 2014, 2013, way after VHS were no longer an option. Oh, God. I got a really big Christmas gift from my brother. (laughs) Big old box wrapped, and I was so excited because Mitchell was known for giving shitty gifts (laughs) and so i thought oh my god my brother a senior in high school finally got his life together and got us good christmas gifts oh no my brother wrapped up in multiple layers of wrapping paper the first half of the vhs of titanic just the first (laughs) fucking hell just the first half I guess it's the happy half. He was like, I didn't want to give you the the dying half. Don't worry. My sister got the second half. Stop it! No! (laughs) He was so proud of himself. One time he made a... He made a drinking... Or like like a board game out of a used pizza box and gave that to my dad for Christmas. I just want to know, does it speak to your personalities who got which half? (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. I... 
he found them in the basement and just wrapped them up. I was going to say, did he think like, oh, here's the happy, like the better light, the light part of the movie for Abby. No. And here's the Titanic no. actually sinking for Emily. <laughs> okay, fine. Absolutely. No, that does fit. But no. That does no. fit. <laughs> so, oh. You reminded me of that when you were mentioning God. thoughtless gifts. Because my mom's was funny, but that one was just beautiful. Oh, man. <sighs> has he gotten better for, for the sake of his uh, his girlfriend, at least? Has he gotten better at gifts? His girlfriend's gotten better. Okay, understood. Gotcha. I mean, she's, she's always been fantastic. Has he? I'm pretty sure he's never shopped for a Christmas gift in his entire life oh, besides geez. hers. So, no. That's awesome. But it's a lot more fun. I do have to say it's a lot more fun when you have nephews to be able to shop for for Christmas. My sister doesn't listen to this, so it doesn't matter. I'm planning on getting them, like, making a homemade baby blanket for her for Christmas for her, my new nephew. Yeah. And then I'm going to make a plushie, like a crocheted plushie of a like a horse for little my other nephew that's um, going to be two. Because who wouldn't, who wouldn't love that, you know? Okay, don't cry. You got me a mug with a letter L on it, and I still have it and use it. I'm really glad I did that, because I don't remember. <laughs> was this while I was dying of diabetes or dying from suicide? <laughs> it was shortly after. It was when you were trying to come back from your near-death diabetic. You were recovering. I do want to let you know that um, you and Olivia got me a mug with uh, from Starbucks that had leaves on it. Do you remember this? Yeah. I still have that. Aww. We have our mug. Literally, it's made it to Italy. Well, good. Used it this week. Well, Libby, we are far, far too happy <sighs> for these chapters. We need to bring it down about 24 notches um, to doom and gloom. I think we needed to start off happy, though, because this, these get hard. These are hard, too hard chapters in your gut. <laughs> That's what she said. It is, actually. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that, that is what I said. Fair is pretty uh, explicit, so I wouldn't put it past her. <sighs> well, are you ready to lose our happy-go-lucky selves and fall into some doom and gloom, but also, like, heartbreaking and heart-wrenching? Yeah. All right, take it away. That's the whole point of doing this. My cheerful friend. Chapter 43. Pharaoh was escorted to the throne room to face her final task. The room was silent as all the fae filling it stood and watched her. Reese's words weighed on Feyre. She knew the worlds of the surrounding fae rested on her shoulders alone. Feyre walked directly up to Amarantha, Tamlin still beside her. Feyre wouldn't allow herself to look at him yet. Amarantha picked dust off her blood-red gown as she wandered aloud to Feyre if this trial would be worse than the previous two. The room stayed silent, much to Amarantha's dismay. Amarantha offered Feyre final words before her task would begin. Feyre looked deeply at Tamlin, who remained stone-faced, and she told him she loved him, regardless of what Amarantha may say about it, and regardless if it was with her insignificant human heart. She would love him even into her death. Feyre felt warm tears falling down her cheeks, but didn't wipe them away. Tamlin gave no reaction, no response. Favor knew he was enduring this for her, but his lack of response killed her. Favor stared at Amarantha and knew that she had beaten her so far, and when she died, it would not be alone. Amarantha feigned disappointment and teased that Favor hadn't solved her riddle. Pity, she told Feyre. Favor growled for Amarantha to get it over with. Grrr. Amarantha offered Tamlin the chance to give Favor his own final words, but he remained motionless. 
Amarantha clapped twice, and a door opened, allowing three figures with the brown sacks over their heads to enter. The figures were two male and one female, but there was no other indication to who they may be. Guards forced the three fae to their knees before the dais, but still facing Feyre. Amarantha clapped once more, and three servants appeared, carrying in a velvet pillow, each with a single, polished, wooden dagger. Not metal as a blade, but ash. Amarantha explained to Feyre her final task. She must stab each of the Fae souls before her in their hearts. Feyre couldn't speak, though her mouth motioned to open and close. Amarantha continued on. The Fae before her were innocent, so Feyre could always refuse, but Amarantha then could take her life. After all, a bargain is a bargain. Amarantha told Feyre this was basically a gift, considering Feyre's history for murdering their kind. Feyre considered the costs. Three innocents for her own freedom. For Tamlin. For Tamlin's court and the freedom of an entire land. Amarantha angled her eye ring so Jurian could bear witness to the events about to unfold. Feyre knew this was different from hunting and surviving. This was cold-blooded murder of these fey, of her soul. But she had to do this. For Prithian. For Tamlin. For all the other fey trapped here. For Alice and her boys. Favor wished she knew the names of the long-forgotten gods or prayer to usher so she might beg them to intervene. She did not. She only knew the names of those who would remain enslaved to Amarantha if she failed. She would do this for them, no matter the cost to her. Favor told herself over and over she could do this, even with Tamlin watching. Favor's hand trembled as she held the first dagger. It felt heavier than she thought it would. Amarantha stopped her. Not so fast, she said. The guard near the first fairy removed the sack from his head, his blue eyes pleading with Feyre. Amarantha permitted Feyre to now proceed and enjoy. Feyre saw the sky-blue eyes and she knew she would never see such a sky again if she did not kill this male. She would never get these eyes out of her mind, never forget, no matter how many times she would paint them. Please, he whispered to her. Please. Favor shook as she reminded herself his death would not be in vain. Not in vain. Don't, he begged her as she lifted the dagger. Favor's lips quivered as she faltered, knowing sorry would never be enough. Please, he begged again as tears lined his eyes. There was weeping coming from the crowd and Favor knew she could be taking this young man away from someone who loved him as much as she loved Tamlin. Favor stopped herself. She couldn't allow herself to think these things. Rhysan appeared from a rippling darkness near the throne. His face appeared disinterested, but Feyre's hand began to tingle, and the tingling told her, Do it. Don't. Please. The young Fae shrieked, and it shook Feyre so suddenly that she leapt and plunged the dagger into his heart with a rough sob. The young male screamed and thrashed, and Feyre wept, removing the dagger. She felt the vibrations of the bones against the blade as she removed it. The male's eyes were fixed on Feyre, full of hatred and shock as he sagged down. Someone from the crowd let out a sharp wail, and Feyre dropped the dagger to the marble floor below. Very good, Amarantha simply praised. Feyre felt trapped within her body, forever trapped with what she had just done. Amarantha urged Feyre on to the next kneeling fae, asking if she was having fun. Feyre stood before the second fae, a female. The guards removed the sack hood and Feyre could see the tears running down the female's face. Feyre reached for the second dagger and felt taunted by the cleanliness of the blade against her bloodied hand. The female's voice was like music as she spoke. Cauldron, save me. Mother, hold me. 
reciting a prayer she had once heard Tamlin say in the spring court for a fey male whose wings had been torn off by Amarantha. Guide me to you. Let me pass through the gates. Let me smell that immortal land of milk and honey, the female continued. More tears fell from Feyre. Feyre knew she would never see such an immortal land. To save Tamlin, she would be damning herself. Let me fear no evil. Let me feel no pain. The female spoke while staring into Feyre's eyes, into her breaking soul. A sob escaped Feyre as she told the female she was sorry. Let me enter eternity, the female said. Feyre knew she was telling her to do it now. Do it fast and don't let it hurt. The female was sorrowful, but more so steady and prepared. And that hit Feyre harder than the pleading male now dead on the floor. The female held her stare with Feyre and nodded. Feyre felt herself breaking in an irreparable, endless way. The throne room filled with more wailing. The female repeated, Let me enter eternity. Fear no evil. Feel no pain. Favor gripped her shoulder and drove the dagger into her heart. Her eyes were closed as she sunk to the floor. Favor disconnected from herself, from what she was being forced to do and made to become. The throne room filled with whispering and weeping. Favor dropped the second dagger to the marble floor and the sound of its contact to the ground was deafening. Amarantha remained smiling. Feyre looked to Rhysand and found him watching Amarantha. One more. They were so close to freedom. One more plunge into another heart. But then, maybe another after? Her own? It would be a solace to die by her own hand than to face what she was doing. Feyre reached for the last dagger as the guard removed the hood from the final kneeling female. Feyre's hands dropped as those green eyes she dreamed of and looked to for strength were staring up at her. Whatever was left of Favor came crashing down within her as she looked upon Tamlin. Favor looked to the seat beside Amarantha and saw as the Tamlin beside her transformed back into the adder. Favor stepped away, stumbling over her own feet. Amarantha asked Favor what was wrong, and all Favor could say was that this wasn't fair. Rhysand's face was pale. Amarantha mocked that she wasn't aware humans even knew what fair was. Amarantha smiled and told Feyre she could have Tamlin to herself after she killed him. Or Feyre could give up her own life. But what would the point be to do all of this to save Tamlin if he was dead? But Feyre could move on easily enough once Tamlin was dead. Tamlin looked defiantly at Feyre. Amarantha asked Feyre what her choice would be. Feyre realized Alice had been right. No human walking into this would walk out freely. Favor could stab herself and avoid a torturous fate like Jurian's if she was quick enough. But Favor realized that Alice, Alice had said something else to listen. There was a final part of the curse that Favor still didn't know, and she simply needed to listen to what she had heard. Favor looked to Tamlin and remembered all of the conversations that she had overheard and realized that Tamlin wanted her to hear these things. He wanted her to eavesdrop. She had heard the adder speaking of Amarantha and how she would make no bargains that weren't to her own advantage. Amarantha wouldn't kill Tamlin. She wanted him, and killing him wouldn't give him to her. Favor remembered a private talk between Tamlin and Lucian of Tamlin having a heart of stone that had gone soft recently, and of the adder telling Tamlin that his heart may be of stone, but there was plenty of fear inside of it. Favor knew. Amarantha wouldn't risk Tamlin being killed because he couldn't be killed. His heart couldn't be pierced by a blade if it was turned to stone. Favor searched Tamlin's face for confirmation that this was true, and he looked at her with proud insurrection. Favor worried she was wrong, but then again, she never had felt his heartbeat. She had been so blind to this before. Amarantha had control through this. She had controlled all the High Lords and their magic. 
Alice's warning to trust no one rang in her head. But Feyre did trust. She trusted Tamlin. She trusted herself. She trusted her memories and that Tamlin was smarter than Amarantha. She trusted that all she had given and sacrificed would not be in vain. The room was silent and Tamlin lifted his chin. Feyre grabbed the dagger and hoped that she wasn't wrong. There was a slight smile on Tamlin's lips and she told him once more, I love you and stabbed him. And that would be uh, the conclusion of Dramatic Readings with Libby. Now it's my turn to do Dramatic Readings with Abby. Dramatic Readings. Chapter 42. The dagger slammed into Tamlin's skin as he let out a cry. Feyre was afraid the dagger would go all the way through him from the surge of blood coming from the wound. Feyre quickly removed the dagger from her lover's chest upon hearing a thud from inside. She looked at the blade and saw it had been dented. The wound on Tam's chest was starting to heal during the moments it took Feyre to drop her blade. She wanted to scream at him to kill Amarantha immediately, but she noticed that he wasn't getting up. He wasn't healing as quickly as was expected, nor was his mask removed. The crowd around them began to murmur, and somebody screamed out that Feyre had won and freed them all. Amarantha did no such thing. She instead said, I'll free them whenever I see fit. Feyre didn't specify when I had to free them, just that I had to, at some point. Perhaps when you're dead. You assumed that when I said instantaneous freedom regarding the riddle, it applied to the trials too, didn't you? Foolish, stupid human. Amarantha made her way down from the throne. Feyre matched her steps backwards away from her. Amarantha's gaze fell upon her. And you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make you pay for your insolence. Feyre suddenly couldn't move. Something more powerful than lightning struck her and she fell to the floor. Screams left her mouth as she endured a pain worse than any she'd felt before. Amarantha requested that Feyre admit that she didn't actually love Tamlin. If she'd do that, Feyre could be spared. Amarantha wanted her to admit what a cowardly, lying, inconsistent bit of human garbage Feyre was. Feyre was being tossed up and thrown down into the stone again and again, her bones shattering more with each round. Even through the agony, Feyre refused Amarantha's demands. Instead, all that came from her now raw throat was the never-ending screams of pain. She could hear somebody crying out her name, Rhysand and it sounded almost as if he cared about her impending death. Her ribs began to crack one by one. You think you're worthy of him? A high lord? You think you deserve anything at all, human? Feyre blacked out from the pain then, but Amarantha wouldn't let her be. She brought her back and made sure Feyre felt every strike. Insults continued spilling from Amarantha as quickly as the blood from Feyre. Fairies around them became upset, calling Amarantha a liar and a cheater, calling for Tam's release. But Amarantha only continued to stomp on Feyre's ribcage again and again. Rhysand was suddenly at Feyre's feet with her own knife in his hands. He attempted to slit Amarantha's throat, but without even glancing his way, she used her stolen magic to force him to crash into the floor. Rhysand raised and tried again, but Amarantha had put up an invisible wall around herself. She called him a traitorous piece of filth and spit that he was just as bad as the human beast. His claws were painfully, bloodily forced back into his skin as he swore. She accused him of planning this all along, and with her magic forced him into the stone, so hard that his skull cracked and he was no longer able to hold the dagger. Her powers attacked him again and again. Feyre begged for her to stop. Rhysand tried to rise again and meet Feyre's eyes. She felt the bond between them tighten. She found herself seeing through both her eyes and his, seeing herself broken on the floor, crying. Amarantha mocked her 
saying that Feyre shouldn't pretend to care. Feyre's back was forced into an arch, causing her spine to crack. She could faintly hear Rhysian screaming her name as she welcomed the darkness. Say that you don't love him, the queen demanded, but Feyre remained silent. She couldn't do what was asked of her because loving Tamlin was all she had left, the one thing she couldn't sacrifice. Feyre, for a moment, was brought back to the room, her body laid dying in. She could see Rhysian crawling towards her. It hit her that no matter how the trials would have gone, Amarantha would never have let her live. Tamlin begged for Amarantha to stop that he was sorry for what he said about Clethia all those years ago, but Amarantha only ignored him. Thera stared at the grass-green eyes of her lover and was washed over with memories of their short-lived life together. It momentarily pushed away all the pain. Amarantha again demanded that Feyre admit that she never loved Tamlin. She wanted Feyre to admit to her inconsistent heart. Tamlin begged for her to stop, as blood continued to drip far too steadily from his wounds. Tamlin said he would do anything. I'll deal with you later is all that Amarantha said before turning her attention to torment Feyre yet again. Feyre knew she would never say it, even if it killed her. If this was how she was to die, so be it. For though each of my strikes lands a powerful blow, when I kill, I do it slow. The last three months had felt just like that, a slow death. Her feelings for Tamlin had caused this. But scorned, I become a difficult beast to defeat. Sure, Amarantha could torture Feyre all she wanted, but it wouldn't stop her feelings for Tamlin. Feyre's vision began to fade, but I bless all those who are brave enough to dare. Feyre had run from her feelings all along, but the true bravery began when she faced them. So much blood filled her mouth, it caused her to begin to choke on it. Love. The answer to the riddle is love. She managed to barely get out before her spine completely cracked in two. Night night, Farah. That hurt. <laughs> Gonna go sleep now. Libby, I didn't like these chapters. I was very stressed through both of them. Very frustrated through both of them. Yeah, there was no happiness. No, no, none. Absolutely none. You're not supposed to have happiness. Gross. <laughs> I want to know if you thought what I thought initially when the guards brought out the three fae and it was two males and a female. And did you also panic thinking it was Alice and her boys? <gasps> no. I was petrified. I was like, oh my God, if this is Alice and the boys, I'm fucking done. I was more terrified about it being them than, than Tam. I mean, obviously I would have been more terrified about it being them than Tamlin, but it terrified me. And I wanted to know if I was the only one. I think for once in her life... Bestie didn't do something evil. That would have truly been... I think I would have sobbed. I couldn't have handled it. I did not cry at all in this book. And I think if it was Alice and her boys, I would have lost it. The fact that it was some unknown fae, while it was still heartbreaking, it made it just a little bit easier. Because at least we didn't know a backstory. Yeah. Amaretha still kind of like drove the knife in though. And she was like, they're innocent. Like they do not deserve this. Like, fuck, <laughs> thanks, Amarantha. Hey, just letting you know that they didn't do anything wrong and you get to kill them for fun. Thanks, buddy. I agree with Feyre where the guy that was like pleading, that hurt. But the lady that just kind of accepted it, like, oh, that sucked. Yes, it sucked, but she knew she was dying for a greater good. I think that would have hurt me less than the man that was begging, honestly. There's a quiet strength in facing your death for a greater good. <sighs> I, this is the elephant in the room. Please tell me I'm not the only one that when I read the uh, riddle for the first time, thought for the love of all that's holy, do not it 
let it be love. I'm pretty sure all of us collectively felt that. And I read it high on painkillers, my friend. And I said, I am going to lose my marbles if the answer to this is love, because that is immediately when my where my brain went. And I've talked to quite a few people and they never got it. Really? At all? No, they didn't get it until this moment. And I was like, oh, are you missing a couple brain cells? It's okay if you are. I just need to know because I thought it was pretty obvious. Uh, yeah, I, I'm a little surprised to hear that. I remember thinking there's no way this could be it because it's so easy. It's too, it's so easy. Not that I'm hating. I just, yeah. Okay. That sounds like an asshole thing I just said and I'm not judging or hating. I just, oh, I'm judging and hating because I'll take the blame on that one. I thought it was so blatantly obvious when I read it the first time. Again, on painkillers <laughs> that I was like, please, for the love of everything, don't let this be the answer. And so when I read the answer to the riddle is love, I was like, oh, well, dang like- it. Because like everything, all of the writing was great. And the way she wrote her storylines to make like favor have to go through this thing that at the very beginning of the book, the whole reason that she got into this mess is because she killed an innocent creature. And to again, have to kill innocent creatures creatures is like this 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 beautiful circle and then end it with a cheesy quote i was very upset yeah <sighs> what are your thoughts on the last trial i can't say i'm surprised that amarantha did the whole i'll release you when i feel like it i was kind of expecting it oh the end it just there was too much of Feyre going back and forth with like no 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 i'm not even gonna let myself think about it she wouldn't do that it's like okay the fact that but she was focusing so hard yeah and it's amarantha like she's not gonna play fair come on <sighs> so i wasn't shocked i knew something wasn't gonna work yeah the task itself do you think that was a harsh enough of a task would you have wished for a different task i think it was incredibly harsh we see favor breaking through all of this she is losing her humanity in this it's destroying her she has come to understand that her un- her understanding of Faye isn't what she thought it was so i i think it was cruel for for Feyre, it was the perfect gut-wrenching i think that amarantha didn't think that Feyre could follow through obviously which is where she thought she was going to get away with all of this and like torture favor. Right, because heart of gold right, and torture favor and then get to kill her. So I didn't think she expected the outcome to turn into what it did. So like Amrita kind of shot herself in the foot there. So in the end, it kind of worked out for favor, kind of. But I, I think that what she had to do to the two innocent Faye, you see that it, it definitely, it crushed her. I have a question for okay. you. Do you think you could kill somebody for the greater good. I just want to start by saying this is complete shit that every time we do episodes, I get the hardball questions. <laughs> Abby's favorite game of let's put Livy in the spotlight. <laughs> You're welcome, because I asked them. <laughs> let's see if Livy's going to say an inappropriate thing or not. Okay, let me preface after, <laughs> I mean preface before. Before you answer, my husband and I have had this conversation multiple times, multiple times, and I'll answer it first so you don't have to feel like the the butt head jerky face. Okay, okay. I 1000% without question would kill one person to save a thousand. Okay. Doesn't matter if they're innocent. Doesn't matter if, uh, I know this is going to sound bad. Doesn't matter if it's a baby. Doesn't matter anything. If me being the one to take that life from somebody meant that more people would get to live 
And if I didn't kill that person, then everybody else would die without question. I would murder that individual. Is this individual a stranger in this scenario? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't okay. matter. And it would even be, I mean, uh, this sounds hor horrible. It would even be my husband. Like I would kill no matter who I needed to kill if that meant the mass would get to live. You know what my big exception to that role would be? Your daughter. My kid. I would understand if my husband had to... I'm not a mom I yet. Know. No, 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 no. I know. I, I'm not saying it to like... No, that's not what I mean by it. I'm just saying I, I am right there with you unless that's who it is. And I like I could see if my husband had to... You know, if I had to be the one for a thousand, I could get that. But I know that he also, if it was our child, there's that, that's the thing. That's the exception. That would be my catch 22 where I'd be like, well, Amarantha, I guess she gets to kill me. I guess this is how you get me. Uh, obviously not a mom yet. Mm -hmm. um, not saying I'm killing dogs because I, no, no. that's also really sucks. But James and I have had this conversation again and again and again, because I can't wrap my head around it, especially with him being military. Mm -hmm. If losing one life means that, many are spared as hard as it would be to take that life i it would have to be done like this would not be a challenge for me because it'd be like okay i have to do what has to be done like somebody has to be the strong one and do it okay it would be sad but it wouldn't break me because in the back of my mind i'm thinking about all the people that get to be saved right i am just like that woman who would give their life i if it was the vice versa i would be the one that would stand up for it and let my life be taken so that's that's why I asked, would you be able to do what Feyre did? In her specific task? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think at the end of it, I'd be able to reason with myself the way that she is, where she's like, this isn't going to be in vain, weigh the outcomes, what's going to be the end result here? And yeah, she's like, I know this is killing me. I know I'm damned. I, I get, I'm going to get whatever's coming to me. I'm going to allow myself to be broken and irreparable. I'm not going to be able to fix myself from this, but look at everything good that's going to come of it. I get her mindset and I think I'd be in the same place where she's just like, maybe I'll just like die by my own hand so I don't have to deal with all of this, but I'm going to do what needs to be done. So like I, I get her mindset. It's going to be a struggle no matter what. Because even if she doesn't do it, she has now damned all of those people who are still enslaved to Amarantha. There's no winning here. There's no good outcome from this trial. There are going to be losers. None. Right. Somebody is still going to be hurt and, and punished. There's just, nobody's going to walk away from this thinking. The end, happy ending, everything worked out in the end. That it's just not what's going to happen yet. And for as many books as there are, if we were to walk into the next book and she's like, you know, I'm good. I would be shocked. I expect, because we're closing in on the end, I expect to see Feyre really struggle with what she's just had to do with the trial that is. How did it feel to you when you hear that Rhysand's crying out her name, shouting out Feyre's name? The fact that she said it sounded like he almost cared. Right? I wanted to be like, well, no shit he cared. He's keeping you alive, dumbass. Of course he cares. If he didn't care, he would have let you die ages ago. He even says in chapter 42, why do I care? Like you, you dumb and like stupid. Are you shitting me? A human, are you fucking kidding me? I think she started to realize that he doesn't care about 
about me for his own gain. He cares about me for me. And that was a very cute moment. It was kind of ruined when Tamlin didn't really do jack shit to help her, but... I mean, he didn't. Just kept, like, laying on the floor dying. No, he didn't do anything. You know what Reese did? He grabbed her knife and tried to slit Amarantha's throat. Do you know what Tamlin did? <laughs> Laid there on the ground. I don't care if he was dying or not. Rhysand got slammed into the ground so hard that a skull cracked and he still tried to kill her again. Tamlin wasn't dying. He had an ouchie. He had a boo-boo. <laughs> Tim Tim the monster man had a boo-boo and he needed to lay down while his, you know, lover died. He had an owie while none of his internal organs or anything was truly at risk or damage. Ow. Oh, speaking of her spine oh. forever cracked. I, you know how I can't see things, but I can feel that. Straight up heard it. Or how Amarantha kept saying she cracked rib by rib by stomping on them. I was like, okay, bestie. You know what it like makes me think of? It's like when you have a plastic water bottle and like you, you crunch. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I hear. Oh, see? Oh, that's it. There it is. That was favorite spine. One by How'd one. How'd you get that? Oh my God. Oh. You're welcome. Oh God. Mm. We love that. And as stupid, sorry, Bestie, as stupid as I think, the whole premise of the, the answer is love to the <laughs> riddle is, I like how Bestie wrote this. So she piece by piece breaks it down in Feyre's thought process and how she got to the answer. So like, for though each of my strikes lands a powerful blow, when I kill, I do it slow. She's like, that's what the last... Three months have felt like a very slow death. But scorned, I become a difficult beast to defeat. No matter what the hell Amarantha was to do to Feyre to get her to stop loving Tamlin, it didn't matter. She still loved him. But I bless all all those who are brave enough to dare. You know what frustrates me about all of this is that at this point, I changed my answer from feeling that Feyre was simply infatuated to I think she did feel a love for Tamlin, whether it was earned or not by him. I think she did feel a love for him. And none of this... We call this a trauma bond. There we go. There we go. It's a trauma bond. But it didn't have to get to this point. Oh, no. Because had Tamlin kept his his uh, his pee-pee in his pants <laughs> and gotten her out instead of just throwing himself on her last episode then maybe she wouldn't be uh, dead. Shocking concept. Baffling. I think maybe he needs um, a chastity belt. That's what we need to get this man. Do you know what that is, Libby? Yeah, I know what a, yeah, I know what a chastity belt is. I think he needs very deep, deep therapy. <laughs> very tiny chastity belt. He doesn't need a big chastity belt. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and lots and lots of therapy. <laughs> Specifically trauma therapy. A very tidy chastity belt and a very well-paid therapist. Libby, we still have not shared this book on our podcast. Did you know that? Really? We've not shared it on Instagram. So I think for the last episode, maybe we'll show the listeners some of my favorite notes in this book that I've got. Uh, highlights include, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> and uh, this is the stupidest thing I've ever read. It's funny because I think it'd be great to hold up your book next to a new book from the store to show what it's how big it's supposed to be <laughs> and then how big yours is with all the tabs. <laughs> yes. 
Can I please say my favorite quote? Please say yes, yes, yes. Okay, chapter 44 of my chapter says, Rhysanne yelled my name again, yelled it as though he cared. I'm so irritated that she says as though he cared. Because of course he cared. He even said he cared. Tamlin gives her so little and she's like, he loves me. And I'm like, he gives you fucking nothing. Rhysanne is bleeding for you. And you're like, I mean, as though he cares. I'm like, what do you mean? He has shown you so much more. <laughs> Just, <laughs> She's like, Tamlin glanced at me. Oh my god, he loves me. Free Sanders literally kept harm away from me the entire time and has healed me and and made sure people respected me. This man reassured her as she had to kill the Fae. He sent a bond feeling into her hand and just do it to show her that she wasn't there alone. <laughs> It, as though he cared. As though he cared. Okay, Feyre. Okay, I mean, granted, this woman is also, like, actively dying. So we, we gotta give her a little. I don't have to give her shit. I'm so sick. <laughs> You're done. I am so sick of Tamlin being glorified in this book and by Feyre when there is just red flag after red flag warning sign this book has been a trauma bond for me this is like this is a traumatic experience maybe this is why we loved it so much okay i have two more this is when she is blacking out when Feyre is begging amarantha to stop hurting reese which was a very sweet moment and she says stop please and amarantha says stop stop don't pretend you care human her Back is arching, her spine strained to the point of cracking. And Rhysand bellowed my name and I lost my grip of the room. Then she says this. Then the memories began. A compilation of the worst moments of my life. A storybook of despair and darkness. We really get to see Abertha snapping, finally, and really losing her rage. Oh, She's yeah. She's like, say it. Admit it. You don't love him. And she is just, like, losing it, finally. She is just lost her shit for the first time she's been so calm and cool and collected oh and it's the same thing over and over yeah. and over again she i mean she even says you i'm going to kill you her teeth gleamed mm -hmm. turning sharp like she is furious she's enraged and this is the first time we've seen her so violently angry she has taken everything with stride up until this point and now it's like she realizes she is losing she screwed up and <laughs> interesting to see this unhinged side of Amarantha finally because this I think is what we picture for most villains just typically being this insane and erratic but like like I said Amarantha has been so collected throughout this entire book and now yeah we don't really get to see it right now she's finally this is it this is the straw finally that broke the camel's back all right last one it's same page, 401. A little bit down when Amarantha again is screaming, say that you don't love him. Farah says, but I wouldn't say it because loving Tamlin was the only thing I had left. The only thing I couldn't sacrifice. I mean, that's very cute for anybody else but Tamlin. Mine was very short and it was actually right after that. It was just, Farah, someone roared. No, not someone, Rhysanne. This is the first time we've seen Rhysanne also lose a grip on his emotion i mean like yeah he got vulnerable with her in her cell before the final task but he is like he has also lost control of himself and when have we seen him not being this smooth 
you know, cool glass of water, you know. He's had it together. And now, like, he's... Cool, calm, and collected. he's also unleashed. And it's interesting to me to see Rhysian so passionate over Feyre and Amarantha is so unhinged and passionate over Tamlin. And Tamlin's just laying there. And you're like, um... Where's your emotion, sir? Not there. Waiting for it. Waiting... Or can we talk about the power that Amarantha has to the fact, I mean, obviously she has all of the High Lord's power, but the fact she didn't even need to look at Resand when he was attacking her with a freaking dagger. Didn't he have to glance? Literally just lifted her hand and shot out a power stronger than lightning. What? Seeing the strength that she has, the power that she has gotten from the High Lords that she's taken from them, it reminded me of how Feyre wondered how much power resand had and she had mentioned that after seeing just a glimpse of it if that was the sliver he was left with he was probably the most powerful high lord mm-hmm. and something that it reminded me of was last episode when resand had visited Feyre in her cell and was like you know i just didn't want to piss off tamlin that's why i haven't touched you in certain ways i don't want to make him <sighs> mad to kill me and I'm thinking, if you're as powerful as we're being led to believe... Why does it even matter? He, he wouldn't. He wouldn't be able to touch you. And Rhysand would know that. So it just kind of makes me wonder, like, wh- why is he saying this to Feyre? Because I'm starting to think that that's not even true. And he's just giving her some sort of answer that she he thinks she'll accept. Which she did, but pieces coming together do you think that maybe he's instead of doing it to gain the respect of tamlin and keep him from you know hurting him he's doing it to gain the respect of Feyre because that's who truly matters oh absolutely especially after seeing the way he's reacting to her being injured and hurt by by amarantha hands down yes when he's reacting more than the quote love of her life right something's not adding up and We only have two chapters left, so I don't think we're going to get the answers we want to get yet. (laughs) No. I think there's a lot to be unpacked here, so... Well, my friend, here's some good news. You ready? No, yes. There's four other books. Woo! Okay, yeah, I'm ready for that. We are more than good. I'm ready to dive into the next book already. We have one more episode to cover on this book, and so the next week's episode... And then we have a tea time. Yes, we have a tea time. A tea time. And then and then we have a little break for the holidays. But more importantly, we will soon be touching on my favorite of the Akatar series, A Court of Mist and Fury. Your comfort, comfort book. My comfort book. Oh, I'm ready to just dissect all of the things in this next book. I'm living for it. I am here for it. Do you have it memorized by this point? You know, Honestly. I would like to not answer that, Abigail. <laughs> I have a block of chapters that I specifically find the most comfort that it's like the most serotonin. Is serotonin the word I'm thinking of? The re- Yeah, the yeah. most serotonin I get. And I'm excited for those. I'm just the whole book. I love everything about the next book and I'm ready I'm ready to not feel sad by this, by what just happened. I'm ready. I'm ready for it to continue. And I'm ready for all of the things. I'm ready for the fans. If I think I'm calling them fans, the listeners, the fans. I was that was audacious. The fans. <laughs> the fans for them. I'm ready for the listeners to also share their thoughts and feelings. And 
I want to know what favorite book is theirs and what they're looking forward to being covered and what they want to hear about. Oh, we have so many fun things to look forward to. There's a lot. Our star of the week this week, um, I'm actually really excited about. I say this every week, but like super duper excited. Her name's Jessica Wayne and she's an author. Um, She's actually a USA Today and Amazon bestselling author. And I just think that's cool. So um, not going to lie, I do have her books on the way to my house right now to read. Not that I have literally any time because I have to finish the Throne of Glass series, but as a little breather, because I know my heart's going to be broken in that series, I have the first book in the Blade of Ice series coming called Rise of a Warrior. Um, it's coming to my house in two days, and I'm very excited to read it. And I will let you guys know next season how I loved it. But Jessica's got a little about me section. Actually, Libby, I can call it an autobiography because she's an author and she wrote it herself. So I'm going to read a tiny baby autobiography from Jessica. And she says, hi, I am so grateful to be part of this. Um, So about me, why am I so terrible about this? Ma'am, I think everybody's a little bad about writing themselves. I started writing when I was a teenager and really never stopped. I took breaks, spent seven years in the army. And then when I got out, I picked it back up and started writing again. Girlfriend, thank you for your service as two Milsos here. Thank you. She said, I am a stay-at-home mom and my husband is super supportive. So I was able to spend nearly all of my free time writing. I wrote, rewrote, rewrote some more on and on. And I never quite got the courage to do anything with it. Then my grandmother passed away in 2016. I'm so sorry for your loss. She was the one who got me into books in the first place and always pushed me to publish. So shortly after she left this world, I finished Tethered Souls and hit publish. I'm so proud of you. Okay. It was a massive failure. I'm still proud of you. (laughs) She's not entirely sure what she was expecting, but apparently you need to have an editor, a professional cover, and a whole marketing plan, and she had none of that. Thankfully, she says, I met another indie author who introduced me to the endless Facebook groups, which gave me the chance to figure it out. And shortly after, I republished with all of those necessary things. To date, I've written 52 books. Jeez Louise, woman. I am so proud of you. I don't even know if I've read 52 books. That's a lie, but... To date, I've written 52 books across three different pen names in multiple genres, hit the USA Today bestsellers list, and gotten the opportunity to sign at some bucket list signings. It's been a dream come true. When I'm not writing, I'm homeschooling my kiddos, obsessing over chickens, and making way too much sourdough bread. Seriously, an addiction now. Thank you guys so much for having me. Okay, this woman sounds like my best friend um, because I also love chickens and would have one if we weren't leaving Italy in a year. Um, I would like to homeschool my kids because I think homeschooling is amazing. And also, I want to learn how to make sourdough. So Jessica, this is my plea for you to be my best friend. Thank you. Miss Ma'am Jessica, my best friend now. Um, your book is coming. I'm so excited. Thank you for being our star of the week. And if you guys want to find her, her Instagram is at author Jessica Wayne. And then I will also link her link tree because it's got, funny enough, links to literally everything you could ever want. Um, she's even got some freebie, free books that you can read, which sounds fantastic. So like I said, her name is at author Jessica Wayne. And Hazel, I'll let you know how I like the book. Check out our Instagram stories and I'll leave a full review. Calling all dreamers. We want to hear from you. Send us an email to a court of thorns and podcasts at gmail.com. Tell us everything, how you found the series, your favorite characters, questions you have for us. 
Tell us about your favorite book, your favorite character. You already told us about your favorite characters. You can tell us <laughs> twice. That's fine, too. I just can't read tonight. I, you I'm listen. This in. Whatever you want. I'm leaving it. Yeah. You know what? If you want to tell us twice, do it. We love it. We love hearing from you guys. Also, though, if you like us, go ahead and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. It would help us to find more bookish friends. Uh, and, you know, you're going to be extra cool in my book if you share this with your friends. That, that's a super cool thing to do. Goodbye forever. No, we still have multiple episodes left. <laughs> <laughs> the end. We're not actually finishing this book. Oh, this has all been a prank. This podcast isn't real. Could you imagine if we just didn't do the last two episodes? How mad people would be. Oh, man. Would they? Do you even care? Uh, I think they would be. To the people who listen and the dreams that are answered. We will see you next week. And remember, don't let the hard days win. Or, you know, or do. You do you. No, no. Don't do that. God. Livy said, no. You put down the fourth dagger and you keep going to book two, <laughs> where in Libby's opinion, things get even better. Hey, also Abby's opinion. This is my least favorite book. This is the least good of all the books. All the books, this is the bottom. She's the very the very last book. She she's she's cute. She's not great. She's a ten, but she has Tamlin, so she's a two. She's a ten, but she's dating a monster who growls a lot. And I'll stop there. From the dark it's a man from the fight. Makes me taking all my feelings, you in my head, you in my heart. I'm never in dark. Favor couldn't speak through her mouth. Nope. <laughs> she couldn't speak through her mouth, but it came out her ass. <laughs> well, so she couldn't speak. Because that was bullshit. Yeah. Ugh. Literally Ugh. shit.